CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Well, good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live. And today's topic is handling complex events. And our guest for today's show is Alex Pettit, who's the state CIO and secretary of IT and telecommunications with the state of Oklahoma. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Very good. So summer treating you well? So far, so good. We were glad to get uh, get through the uh, month of May. Oklahoma had a tough May, so we're we're uh, we are glad to, to be in the summer uh, the the summer high pressure that we usually get. So yes, very good. And I know a lot happened in your state, and and uh, perhaps we can touch some of that during our discussion today and see how are we uh, handling Mother Nature's forces and and do the best we can. So basically, this topic is about uh, handling complex events, and those happen in our business, in our lives. And, and things which we truly never are able to predict. Or in some cases, we try to predict, but it's almost like predicting weather. So uh, coming to the first question here, that if, if we always knew that this is not totally controllable, but still we want to have a better handle on how complex events happen and uh, how do we perhaps get an inkling that this is going to happen and we get a, a better way to process it, what is the primary driver? Because this has always been the case. It's nothing new. But why are we investing more? Why are we even thinking that we should go to this next level? And do you think it makes practical and financial sense? I think that in a lot of cases we're, we, we struggle with doing risk assessment or really fully understanding and, and, uh, and uh, handicapping the risk that we face. So you know the the things that the the number one cause of problems in IT is overly optimistic estimates before starting starting the project and so when you get into any kind of an implementation an IT implementation a lot of times you're you're not really you know is a is the implementation of a of a uh, uh, new desktop uh, windows platform more or less complicated than the implementation of an application that does child support payment system for the state of Oklahoma, and and you just you you have a tendency to allow things either because they're 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 vendor or from a reputable vendor or something like this that you tend to downplay the risk that's associated with it, and so we really don't have a very good way of we, we've had we've had a difficult time truly understanding what risks there are that we face and and how to go about. Uh, understanding and appreciating and mitigating those risks or accepting them for for where they are and and uh, and moving forward on it so interestingly you you used uh, risk as the main driver is that always uh, it or is it something where we take a more positive spin to what complex events are doing to us and if we could get a better handle, we get, um, uh, you know, we, we are ahead of it in some form or fashion. It could give us a competitive advantage. I know government doesn't really, um, you know, look into competitive advantage, but frankly, the citizens' uh, satisfaction and how you handle natural disaster and many other things, those, um, not everything has to be a risk or not, not everything has to be looked at it from a risk standpoint because otherwise cost justification becomes tough because you're almost selling insurance. Well, yes, uh, and, and in government in particular, it's really about the efficient use of resources. It's, it's more about we, have a, we really have a moral obligation to efficiently use the resources that we are entrusted with because they're not really our resources. It's, it's not quite like the private sector. So, so to a great degree, that is our, our most important charge is to make sure that through collaboration and innovation, we most effectively use 
the resources were given. I, and I, I do agree that in the private sector, there's certainly a, 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 a statement or a, a view to it that, you know, you want to be agile and you want to, you want to take advantage of things, first mover advantage. You want to get, um, you know, if you're into Roger's diffusion of innovation, you know, you want to get those early adopters and you want to get that, that going and what have you. But the other side of it is, is truly the, the project, um, uh, management practices that that address the uh, that address change control. You know, in a lot of cases we we have substituted agility, or we think agility means that that we just allow folks to adapt to change as as best they can. And we've we've had a tendency, I think, we've had a tendency to force more and more of of change and adaptation and the responsibility of change management onto the end user, and we we don't really appreciate enough. That as the providers of the systems, that that we own that that that's that's a big part of user acceptance is how well the change control is is uh, is managed and and whether or not we take responsibility we as the as the implementers take responsibility for that a, an improvement or a change that that's done very quickly uh, regardless of the return on investment or any of the other uh, net present value calculations you want to go through and use as far as advantages for the organization to be the first mover or what have you uh, don't matter if they're not adapted if we've if we've uh, if we've alienated the user and and they fail to adopt our our uh, implement our uh, innovation uh, then it does it simply doesn't matter so in your context, uh, when you talk about complex events and you're talking to the big boys up there, and the directives, are they more that, hey, you can win a few battles, but you cannot win the war, so do the best you can, or you have very clear-cut hard dollars or specific directives which say you got to tame this beast or else? Well, you know, for us, the the three things, and again, I can only speak for the state of Oklahoma in my charge. We we do three things. We we're charged with the effect with the reduction of the size of government. That's number one. We're we are charged with we're asked to improve transparency and to give insight into what it is the government's doing with the resources that we've been entrusted with, financial and physical and what have you, and then to increase the accountability of those folks through metrics and through performance uh, reporting of those people who are entrusted with those resources and, and make that available in a public forum. So our, so that's really what we do. Those, those I, the IT projects that we as an IT group initiate must fall on one of those three um, legs of that stool or, or at least support one of those. It's got to be one of those things if IT is going to promote it. Now, there are other IT programs, of course, that are specific to agencies' mission and, and vision and, and what it is that they're supposed to be doing, and, and we support those as well, and we provide those services, and they have their they have their cost justifications and their metrics for performance, and they do it for, for their reasons, for public safety reasons or for citizen uh, support reasons and what have you. But in the end, really, it's for those projects that are IT-initiated projects, they must be one of those three things. That's really our charge. So if you were to inventory the top three to four complex event categories, which if a project falls under and you try your best and it doesn't really become successful, you and or your crew's job is not in jeopardy. Oh, I don't know that I would say that. I, I would say that, you know, of, of course we have a we have a, a, a responsibility. The hardest thing is to is to truly articulate ahead of time what risks are there that could derail a project. What are the thing and what are we and have we done all the things that we can do? Do we fully understand what it is we need to do to mitigate those risks? And in some cases, it is a learning process. There are some risks. So, for instance, one of the things when we were doing the the uh, recent events that happened in Oklahoma with the tornadoes, one of the things that many homeowners here have done have built uh, storm shelters, generally in their garage, but we built storm shelters. And so people go to their storm shelters and ride the storm out there. And, and these are generally underground, usually cut in the slab where the uh, where the uh, garage is. And, and, and they, it's about, you know, they, they vary in size, you know, but but the family will go down there and what have you, depending upon uh, how many folks they got, and then just write it out. Well, we received a call at the EOC. Um, I'm sorry, at the DPS, they were searching for 
these shelters. We, we, I saw this on the uh, television news, and they, they were going through and they were trying to search for where the location of these shelters were and where people had, had holed up. And one of the things we came to realize that we did not have a, 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 an authoritative inventory of where all of these shelters were located. So in some cases, if people have taken shelter in a, in a uh, garage and the roof of the garage has collapsed in on it, they're, 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 they're trapped. They may be safe, but they're trapped within that. And so it, it, you have to get a bobcat or something in there to pull the debris off the, off the door of the, the thing to let people out. And so without that, and, and because we've allowed the municipalities and the, and, and folks to, uh, to, they're the ones that contract. They're the ones that, that that permit these where there are permits required. Whatever the state really doesn't have any insight into where those are. So one of the, the things we've identified is to say, all right, well, we're going to set up a repository. We're going to set up a database of these. We're going to ask people to voluntarily register their their where they you know that they have a shelter and and uh, where it's located is in their backyard, is in their garage, what have you. And then and then once we know that, we'll associate their address to lat long coordinates, and then if the if the street is has no identifiable markings anymore, like we saw in Moore in the in the uh, first tornado, then we can we'll be able to, with a handheld device, you know, identify a lat long position and and be able to get those people out of there and and know that there's a shelter that we need to check. Let's put it that way. And so you know that's those are the kinds of things. So when you talk about mitigating risk, in a lot of cases, we don't really know what risks we face, and until we're faced with them. Um, it's, it is very difficult in, in, um, in foresight to have the, to know what it is that we need to mitigate the risks that we face. But it is our obligation to do absolutely the best that we can. You very rightly said that we definitely cannot plan for all possible flavors of risks and or events that could happen. Um, however, as as, an, as a government or and your whole department, including technology folks, do they uh, are they required to always remain structured in their approach so that whatever is in front of them as a scope is what you think about and or plan for, or you would rather have a fluid. Which will also have the creative element and a foresight and maybe some whiteboarding and sandboxing that is happening on a regular basis so that we don't say after an event such that the basically the kind of events that uh, happen at Oklahoma in Oklahoma. Uh, and now we are saying that, OK, we never had that application which would allow people to find those shelters. Do you think we now are waking up or we will again, perhaps, God forbid, if something else happens, we will learn then and then we try to say we will be ready for the next uh, mishap. But hold your thought. Let's explore this area and see how organizations and uh, like basically government departments, etc., are structuring themselves to be able to effectively handle these situations going forward. Please stay tuned. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So structured versus fluid uh, sandboxing and creative thinking. Do you think that's something which is uh, something, a thing of the future? Or, Alex, do you think you're own organization that is IT and also fellow departments have started thinking that we got to plan a little more versus just reacting to what happens. Well, at the at the risk of being divisive, which I, I don't wish to be, I, I believe that Agile is 
having an effect on us, that it does make us stupid, that we substitute the pursuit of Agile for uh, alignment. And we think that by responding quickly to requests for things, for novel things, for the, for the next uh, for the implementation of the next toy or the next gee whiz thing or whatever it is, that we think that that is what constitutes alignment, and it really doesn't. What what we what we tend to stray from when we become as we as we begin to focus more and more on agility and and the quickness of the response is it's our quality which suffers, and we we forget that in the end quality does matter of what it is we put up. Incremental delivery is no excuse for not having a good quality product that you're putting out over repetitively. And although we can say that some things don't have to be perfect or don't have to be complete, not every function point needs to have have everything addressed in it and and uh, not has to be completely without error or not not without or or has to completely meet the user's needs and I agree with that. The other side of it is you can't just throw something out there and say, "Oh, well, that just, you know, we'll we'll get to that later and 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 be sloppy about it." There's no there's no excuse for departure from from how we understand how things, how projects should move forward, how things should be, how we have to have sign off, how do we have to have testing, how we have to have uh user involvement at the sacrifice of, of uh, agility. So you did mention this agility. is is very interesting that you mention agility. So do you think that if an organization just pursues uh, timeliness or agility, do you think there is an automatic uh, offset of effectiveness? Because who cares what IT is doing behind the scenes if a person who is stranded in in such a storm is not able to find the shelter? It comes down to the basics. So if you're not able to do it, how fast you did it would not matter. That's right. Or if you do it poorly, that's as equally as bad in many cases. So back to the shelter example. If we do not, if we do not execute well on that, we could, we could cause more harm than good. So one of the things that we were, we were able to do, we did have here in the state is we, we know the attendance of the children at, in the schools by 10 o'clock. Reten, attendance in uh, public schools is reported to the State Department of Education. And when the tornado went through more, we were able to provide the first responders with the list of children who were in attendance at the two schools that, that, had, uh, that had been affected by the tornadoes. It's important to have accurate data. It's important to have accurate solutions. Giving them an inaccurate uh, solution, giving them an inaccurate uh, listing of students, let's say, or, or locations of shelters or whatever, that, that's, that is simply not acceptable. And, and that to provide them with a list that is, that is incomplete or that is erroneous and, and to get it to them within, let's say, uh, an hour of the event occurring, that is actually causing more harm than good. And I think sometimes that we forget, we, we think that the response is what's important. It's not just the response, it's the quality of the response. So you, you mentioned accurate data, and if you were to qualify across multiple agencies, maybe beyond going your government or even in the business world, do you think these complex events are not handled properly because people have eye on the wrong target? I think there is a tendency, and I, I don't think this is universally true, but I have seen a great deal of it, that our dedication and devotion to agility and to, and to uh, Agile itself and, and trying to get things out and, and trying to get and show progress for our, our efforts and our energies and start getting that feedback, I do believe that feedback is the single greatest determinant of human behavior. And agile and agile processes tend to give us very rapid feedback, and so we can course correct and we can we can get to the user's desire, get to the user's needs, and and meet those needs and requirements more quickly. I think that's I don't think that there's I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm saying that we the in that process you cannot sacrifice the quality of what it is you're doing. And very often, what I've seen in in a lot of uh, instances is that we sacrifice the quality of our of our work of of what we're trying to put together for the uh, for the sake of of meeting our uh, release deadlines. If suppose your your uh, different departments and government uh, officials dole out a bunch of projects and say, Alex, I'd like you and your crew to figure out how to handle this. Do you think you would want to first turn around and ask a few questions to see if the organization itself is ready to adopt? You can build a very sexy set of tools and and processes and everything else, 
do you think adoption is a problem with the with the complex events getting handled effectively and timely? I do, and I think I think agile helps a lot with that when you've when you've got something complicated or sophisticated that you're bringing in, and it is going to change fundamentally the workflow process and how how work is done and how things are completed. That that it is important to have have user involvement and in the in the development and and in the incremental release of things. I think that helps enormously with the with the user acceptance. User acceptance is. Even in mandatory use organizations where, okay, I'm, I'm rolling out this application to do accounts or, or expense management, and you have to use this expense management module. So we can say that, and, and they have no choice but to adopt it. But I think user acceptance is still enormously important insofar as productivity and, and getting the best use of the tool and getting the best, the most accurate data entered and what have you. So. So even in mandatory use environments, user acceptance is key. I just don't – and Agile helps to do that a great deal, and incremental delivery helps to do that a great deal. I think, though, that we, we do – we underestimate or we under um, – we don't appreciate enough just how many things are affected when when we tend to look at things in isolation. We tend to to limit our our thinking in terms of when we're bringing an application in. We're, we're thinking about it in terms of just this very narrowly defined business process that we're improving, and we don't look at it in the context of the entire organization, the entire, um, if you will, enterprise that that it's a part of, and and we don't. Um, appreciate or, or even anticipate how this change is going to affect overall the the structure, the architecture, whatever word you want to use of the of of the uh, organization itself. Now, let's compare any handling of complex events like an orchestra. Mm-hmm. And if everybody has to be super uh, you know, coordinated and have automatically are expected to change their DNA from someone who is an order taker and or follows just set of instructions to be ready with a split second to, you know, move the ball to the next person. That's way too much to ask from people just because you have a business initiative. So what is the journey like? You cannot have, make change people overnight, you cannot change the way their interdependence overnight. You cannot change the overall team dynamics overnight. Well, that's so how true. Would you... and, and I think, though, that you can show them what you're really talking about is improvisation within an orchestra, right? We're asking people to adapt to changes or changes to things within a um, – within the construct of an orchestra. So they have their sheet music and they have to follow the conductor and they need to do certain things in order to make, make music that's, that you can listen to and, and for it to make sense. However, we're not automatons. And even within things like, like, like I used to be a musician many, many years ago. So oh, wow. jazz, within jazz, there are still rules to improvisation within jazz. You simply don't get up there and start blowing notes randomly. There's you 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 have to follow certain certain constructs certain rules around that so if you're going to if you're going to ask people to improvise in an orchestra that can work but it still requires rules it still requires quality to be followed otherwise it does decompose into chaotic noise so there's a i i, I would say that that uh, this this uh, improvisation that we're talking about, asking people to do to adapt and to and to take things on as as they come and what have you, and to, and to modify from the script or whatever as they need to, as long as it's within certain bounds or as long as we've defined that we we have the system boundary defined as to what it is they can do and can't do, then that works quite well. And people are certainly entirely capable of that. And if you want to get even a little more abstract about, it, I think that it it provides more meaningful work than simply becoming an automaton. So what are the prerequisites if you were to lay a few out to say this organization, of course, had been doing just transactional things and now they want to evolve to a next generation and not purely for agility purposes, but there could be other uh, agendas like getting competitive advantage, et cetera, et cetera. So you have technology coming to support you. But overall, for an organizational readiness standpoint, what would be the prerequisites you would like to say, let these be met before we charge ahead to handling complex events? Well, I think, I think one of the biggest things that I've seen is a lot of project managers, and, and I'm speaking from my own experience. I don't know if this is universally true. I've never, I've never seen any studies around it or whatever. But I, I do believe that, there, that management practices tend to conceal problems from, from – 
management and from clients and from whatever. So as we're rocking and rolling along and we come across a problem in a project, we come across something that's, that's, that's giving us we, – we have a tendency to try to minimize what the impact is or we try to deal with it ourselves internally or within the IT group, and we don't, we don't tend to communicate to the rest of the organization or to other, other folks what it is that – what's the problem, what's the impact. We'd rather work on – we have a tendency as a discipline. We would rather fix the problem then notify people that there is a problem and try to and take the time to explain what it is and to have them so they fully understand what the problem that we're facing is and we view that as a waste of time very often we think that that time communicating could be better spent um working on and addressing whatever the problem is i think that that's the that that's the single greatest I don't know what to, what to call it here, but uh, tendency or, or flaw or whatever it is in in, um, in project management and implementation is our desire to to want to th- that we do not want to communicate. We do not communicate problems, and that that we we um, we try to. And I, I don't think it's necessarily that they cover them up or whatever, but we we do conceal that the problems that we have and. and uh, and and just focus our time and effort on on mitigating them or or addressing them and not enough time on communicating and and being open about and transparent about okay this is a problem we've run into this is these are the things we're going to try to do about it this is where we're at on it um we we have a tendency to believe that management doesn't want to hear about it and our customer doesn't care and that's not really the case i i think that we need to be more collaborative in how we approach these things i think that's one of the problems that we've faced in it is our reluctance to collaborate with our with with our partners with our with with our management with our customers with with other folks i think that's a real a real handicap to our discipline so the, you actually faced very recently the real test of how IT within its own team as well as how it works across uh, the, the room with the business users to together make uh, this, this whole storm that you, you had experienced, how to handle it effectively so that citizens eventually were able to get to where they were supposed to safely and securely. So if... If that is the time when you need people to be resilient emotionally and physically and you want them to be truly motivated to do the best they're supposed to and finally also have the appropriate training that if something like this happens, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do almost like a, uh, you know, trained drills, etc. So motivation, uh, ex- exercises in or, or training and then all the education and the camaraderie all have to come together. So if you were to go back and uh, look at how things happened, do you think that complex event, and you have to finally rate how those complex events were handled, which were brought about by Mother Nature? What was that journey like? Let's listen to you. Please stay tuned. Listeners will be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. All right, so Alex, let's relive... Uh basically what happened uh, in terms of when the the disaster uh, you had experienced there. The different teams, they had to come together. They had to show the emotional resilience and and intelligence. And then uh, they had to have some sort of training beforehand if something like this happened, how each person is going to perform when they are also 
worried about their families and other uh, near and dear ones, how did they all come together and, uh, you know, basically helped handle this problem, not necessarily solve in this case? And where do you think the lessons were learned, which could be done better next time? Well, there were there were a variety of things. Obviously, those that were directly infected, and there were within the IT group here, there were there were about a score of folks who were who were personally affected by the by the events in Moore. And when I say personally, I mean either their property or or you know their immediate family were were affected by it here. And so um, there were and, and many many more were affected by you know indirectly, of course, people they knew and and uh, people that they had relationships and with what have you that were affected so but the the um answer your questions of course those that take care of those you know fa- you know what you got to take care of of your family you take care of first you know and so that was that was our emphasis there and so far as we people knew what what it was that needed to be done and and jumped in and started doing what they had to do and there are again you know you we have the drills and we have we we know how we have to do things we got the okay strong website set up very quickly and that was where we we set up for our communications uh, portal so that people could come in and you saw that evolve over time as we as we identified things that we we could use or what we could help with you know one of the things that became apparent to us early on was that we had a lot of bottled water that was donated, but we didn't have hand sanitizers, so we needed hand sanitizer, and there were none to be found. And so we set up something like a bridal registry where where emergency responders could post things that they needed, and then members of the people of the public or, or organizations or whatever could could then just like you would a bridal registry, you would you would go through and say, okay, well I'll donate. You know, you, they put out a thing. I'm making this up, of course, but you know, you put out 12 shovels. And you say, well, okay, I'll I'll donate six of them. I'll pick them up on my way from from the house here, and I'll I'm away from the office, and I'll buy them, and I'll I'll deliver them to this location at this time, and whatever. And so you put a hold in there, and if by that time they they didn't show up, or by the next cycle they didn't show up, we post it again. And if they did show up, then okay, instead of twelve shovels, we need six now, or whatever it was. So so doing it as a bridal, and I know bridal registry probably isn't the right way to describe it, but that was that was what came to my mind as we were talking about this in the cabinet, uh, Governor. Fallon had called an emergency cabinet meeting right after the event. We and we got the I got the opportunity to listen to some of my other my fellow cabinet members and, and hear what things they were problems they were running into, challenges they were faced with, and things that they were needing. And it was and and that was that gave us the that gave me the opportunity to understand what it was the needs were, and then I could I could direct or focus resources on on addressing those those things. You know, it was it was. Um, it was through that that, and then even with the the following the cabinet meeting that we had the, the the day or two after the first cabinet meeting that we went through and talked about you know the recovery and and how we you know how how folks were going to have a couple of weeks to go through the debris that was in their yard and one of the comments was the debris that's in your yard isn't your debris you know it's your neighbor's debris your debris is scattered you know a mile away or whatever so how are you going to know how how are we going to to bring people back in touch with, so we, so using a Pinterest um, solution model, we uh, we were able to, you know, so if you find something in your yard that looks like it would be of importance to somebody else, you know, take a picture of it, and you can put it on the on the website, and somebody else can go out and look, and then, you know, if it's theirs, you know, if it's a picture or something, you know, they can go and they know who to contact and how to get how to get, uh, you know, get their property back or whatever. So. Those kinds of things were things that evolved out of the communication, the collaboration. I think the most important thing that I can say as far as as far as how that journey went specifically was it is so important to have collaboration, to be able to listen and to be open to and to, and to understand what the needs are and what the challenges are. And and as you do that, you're able there, – there are some things that are routine that you know that they're obvious, the, the – you know, providing the listing for for the, the students that were in those schools that was obvious. Other things like uh, providing the Pinterest file for for the debris thing or or the the Pet Connect or or what have you. Those things are were not as I don't say they they weren't as apparent to us right away. But we were able to very quickly identify that need, articulate the requirements, bring an application up in a in a uh, in an agile development, and and get it operational. Uh, to provide to service that need, and those were those were very important to do. The I guess the um, 
in the end, though, it really comes down to how how well your leadership and how important your leadership vests in collaboration. And Governor Fallon has put an enormous amount of, of importance, described an enormous amount of, of value to the collaboration of her cabinet. And that's that has that's really been a hallmark of her of her leadership. And that's that I think more than any other single thing is is what uh, what enabled what what provided the opportunity for us to to uh, to support the way that we did, and for all the agencies to to respond as well as as they did to the uh, to the emergency. So let's draw a parallel with an airline. So suppose an airline uh, has, of course, a bunch of different planes uh, flying around the country or internationally, and such disasters or or other natural uh, things happen, let natural events happen, which make them uh, reroute planes and do other things. And and what they have been doing is they have been using these complex event uh, processing tools, which would allow them to map that these are the things that are happening and and you know if it everything is smooth then this is the process but if there are any hiccups then these are the different uh, parameters you will consider and based on that you will automatically reroute the plane from here here and here versus banking on a human brain mm-hmm. do you think something like that could be uh, retrofitted if you know uh, if you had such tools and could you first of all practically handle a situation like what you uh, had in your state effectively and secondly do you think that is uh, you, you can reliably uh, have a tool handle how a state uh, government is going to handle a natural disaster how much how much reliance can you put on a piece of software well i i would say there's a there's a good deal of reliance you can put on software heuristics are an enormously beneficial um you know tool in in the toolbox for doing things the problem is in the in the more unstructured events that you have the less valuable heuristics are going to be to you. So many, many years ago, I worked for SC Johnson Wax, and they were working on a software solution to automate the mold changes for the caps. So I was a part of the the group that was doing the cap, the management of the cap uh, production for off and raid and favor and glory and and glade and pledge and all of that. And so you would think that in an MRP system you could you could forecast things like mold changes and you could you could automate a lot of that so you could you could automate the work tickets based upon the demands that were coming coming in from the product managers that they were going to run a thousand cases of pledge and so you knew you needed you know 200,000 pledge caps and you know of yellow color and whatever by the state to run it to support that well that was fine but the the problem became or the issue became we had we had demand that we did not always anticipate sometimes a store would run a uh, would would run a uh, sale on pledge without our knowing it and and we would find out after the fact or they would give us very little notice that they were going to run as their loss leader to bring people in they were going to run pledge as a as a um as a uh, discounted, uh, you know, um, item, and so we would find out. Oh gosh, we're going to need to run a quick thing, a pledge here, so that we can support their their distribution of it. I mean, we we wanted to be good partners with them. Well, sometimes those things didn't come in till very late, and and you would hear about it, or you would you would understand that there was the possibility that this was going to happen, and they say, yeah, it's a pretty good possibility this is going to happen, so we're going to need that. Well, pledge caps only run ran on one of two presses at that time. So if I knew that there might come up, there might pop up, might pop up this this demand for 200,000 pledge caps, then I knew that I wouldn't schedule, I, I would leave that press open. There were 20 presses that were available. I would leave that press open in, in anticipation of this short order coming in. And sometimes it would happen. Sometimes I'd be right and sometimes I'd be wrong. But it was more important to be to, to be right than wrong because I had to make that I had to be able to meet that we didn't want to stock out a pledge that was that was our bread and butter that was one of our bread and butter products at, at Johnson Wax so so I knew that and I understood that and I understood what the mission was I understood that stocking out of pledge had a higher cost to the organization and I know you can program this in heuristics but but until or unless you really I, I'm not sure you can you can program with with um, with uh, artificial intelligence and decision models and things like that, if you can truly 
program in what it is the what is the vision what is it that we're really trying to do here and do you understand what it is we're trying to do so in the event the tornado we had uh, ultimately what we were trying to do is is mitigate the human suffering right that's what we were doing we were dealing with human suffering on a very real level and so what was it that we could do to to take care of those things what are the things that are going to be important to people pets mementos uh where to get help where to get i mean those were how to communicate what you know posting messages and expressing support what have you and so when we got when we when we started to get into this we 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 really we knew what the goal was it was very clear what the goal was that we were trying to accomplish and then we knew what actions and why we were doing things and not only why we were doing things but what else we could or should do in support of that goal and so when you have and i'm not sure that that through heuristics you can do that you can do that in normal situations in, in operational situations it's not clear to me that in in extraordinary situations I think, and I think as a discipline in IT, we sometimes forget, we lose why it is we do things. When we had, when Governor Fallon, so I was, I was appointed by Governor Henry, I was reappointed by Governor Fallon. When Governor Fallon came in and, and, and reappointed, you know, an entirely new cabinet and many new agency directors and so on, not a single requirement of a single project that was going on, that was, that was happening, an IT project changed. None of our requirements changed. And it's because we we've so focused on the out of context deliverable of what it is we're doing of of supporting that business process that and and, and governor henry was a moderate democrat and governor fallon is a conservative republican so it was a significant change in leadership and and in all of her appointees and and yet all of the application deliverables didn't none of the application deliverables change of any in-flight projects of any projects that were were being teed up nothing changed and it's because we've lost the linkage very often i think we're a a, a discipline of reductionism and we have lost the connection between what we're doing and why it matters you know so why it matters is over the top and we call that enterprise architecture and we call that all kinds of alignment we it goes by a lot of different terms at a high level but we've lost that connection between what we're doing in an out of context sense in a in a in a narrowly defined sense of what it is we're delivering on this application development or implementation or whatever it is and overall what the goal and the mission is because the mission changed significantly from one administration to the other and yet what our activities were what our requirements were what what we were working towards for our did not change and that 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 delay i think is is uh is uh really emblematic of that we really don't always have that linkage between what's the vision and what we're doing. And so I'm not sure that heuristics can help us with that. I think I think that they can't I don't know that they're I think if anything they may inhibit us from being able to make that that change of being that agile if you'd like. Let's take a quick uh, take a quick break listeners. When we come back, uh, Alex, the fact we are talking about the different variety of events and we can totally turn blue trying to uh, envision every type of complex event that can happen and try to prepare for it. So how would you prioritize that these are the 10 that we should work towards and then rest we will have to see what else of what different flavors uh, we uh, we see happening and then we will take care of them later so that we are not investing way too much in anticipation of some things which may be looking very remote like remote possibilities. So let's explore this when we come back. Please stay tuned. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. 
If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So, Alex, we could have a bunch of different uh, complex events that we can think uh, we might encounter and start planning for them. How do you sift through all the ones which are either very small so that we will see what's the you know ROI, not exactly ROI in this case, but how will you mitigate risk versus the big ones? And how do you kind of put them in a portfolio that these are the ones we're going to attack? And do you think there's any possible chance of that becoming a false positive where you thought it is actually going to be a, a problem and it is not? Well, and you know, you work towards it. I guess being in the public sector, we we do have an advantage that many private sector organizations do not have, and that it's very clear why we exist. You know, states exist to serve human needs. That's that's what we do. And in in fact, to make a quote from uh, Cicero, from uh, Roman statesman, there, you know, he said that the safety of the state is the highest law, and so. You know, when we look at things, and as we look at things and prioritizations of things, you know, safety, and if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and what have you, you know, safety is is a fundamental need. We've seen this over and over again in, in Iraq. We saw it in Afghanistan. We've seen it in, in many different places. Until you establish a safe environment, nothing nothing else is of any of – everything else is of less importance. So, you know, when we look at things that we need to do, you know, like a, a radio system, a public safety radio system, that's a very high priority already need for us and that's something that we're we're putting a lot of, of effort a lot of energy into is is into that and, and when it comes to to triaging of events you know when it comes to like the events that we had out more I mean that was th- those are the kinds of things that guide you that becomes your lodestar your vision for what it is that you're you're trying to do and I think very often we as an IT as a discipline we in IT forget how much we contribute how important we really are to the achievement of the mission of the vision of the organization, how much we contribute to them. We, we, we have a tendency, very often I see IT people will, will almost reduce their importance. They think of themselves as a guild. They think of themselves as a trade and um, that, that they're just doing what they're told to do or they're just, and, they're, and their requirements that they're meeting and they're, they're out of context deliverables and what have you. They, they don't see the linkage between what they're doing and overall how important it is that they do and how much they serve to to help their organiza- those organizations help the state for instance meet those those human needs you know and so so i think it's it's um so when you go through and you look at things you've got to be able to understand what need is it that you're really supporting what is it that you're doing and what are you supporting and then how and to your question regarding how likely is a is an event going to happen not only the likelihood of the event because some events are are less likely than others of course but they may have greater significance than than and so you may choose to mitigate it anyway you know because of the even though it's unlikely the the delay would be painful so a fiber link. So we we run a lot of fiber around the state, and you know we look at we want to have that those links available as much as possible. And so, to the um, health department, we'll have we have redundancy where we have it. But is the redundancy of the health department's network and and the ability to make sure it's meeting five nines of availability is that more or less important than the Department of Public Safety's uh, radio system uh, redundancy? Well, obviously the radio system is of higher priority. So. Given the the two options there, you know, we're going to gravitate towards if we have to suffer, if we risk suffering, if in both cases we risk suffering a four-hour outage because somebody cuts a fiber that's underground and it'll take us four hours to to locate it and to re-splice it and get it back in op- operational. Four to six hours is about the amount of time. Well, four to six hours of no health department, you know, stuff, well, that that's bad, and I'm not saying it's not bad in some of the, but based upon the likelihood of that event occurring, you know, that's, that's something that the business may may choose to say, you know, we're willing to accept that risk. That's something that we're willing to do. On the other hand, for public safety radio, uh, a four-hour outage or six-hour, you know, that's not acceptable, right? And so that's not so, – so it's both the combination of the likelihood of the event and the severity of the event. And I think both of those need to be taken into consideration. I think very often we, we – tend to look too much on the likelihood or the or the remote possibility of something happening and we forget that the impact that it's going to have 
on what it is that's really essential and important to us overwhelms, eclipses the likelihoodness to a certain degree that you've that this is such a big deal we have to address it in some way. We have a we have an obligation to. Now, do you think you have the blessings of uh, your officials to have like an endless funding resource in order for uh, you to be able to handle complex events? No, there's there's always in government. Our the the question is uh, what good for which people at what cost. I mean that's what we're doing is is we're trying to figure that equation out. What good do we provide to which which group, which which population, which part of the population? Because very often it's it's not going to benefit everyone. It's only going to benefit a small number of people, and and at what cost to to the rest of us to provide that benefit? So we we have to have we have to work that equation out, and and our charge is to make sure that we are doing that in in the in the fairest and the most just in the in the best possible way so to take all the resources that we need and and devote them to any single interest would would be unfair to everyone else and and so no the direct answer is no but that doesn't make it wrong or bad what it does is it means that through our collaboration with one another as as public officials that we can we understand and we can discuss what are our priorities and 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 through the governor's guidance we can appreciate what it is her priorities are and and then we can find the most effective way the most efficient way that we can we can meet those needs that's that's really what we do so one last question uh do you see the technology solutions that are being offered any good or are they getting better what's happening in terms of innovation and what's your message to the rest of the world in terms of the leaders technology and business leaders uh so that they can handle uh you know these such complex events effectively well i think in application development we've actually seen and i'm not sure if it's advertising or if this is really what's happening but we've seen a number of shops who their CMMI rating, you know, their Carnegie Mellon uh, uh, rating for for uh, implement, for being able to develop software has fallen. Generally, there are fewer level five shops than there were in the year 2000. Uh, there are certainly more level three shops, so there's 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 fewer level one and level two shops, but but there's been a decrease in the number of level 5 shops. So when we talk about improvement in quality, when we when we're saying generally that that it's improved, I would say yes, that our our methodologies, that our, our practices, that overall as a group are, have improved. But those that had had been higher level shops have been had been more mature shops that that has fallen back and in some degree it could be because of cost considerations through the recession and and some of the other events that had happened that that we've seen those we've we've seen a focus on well it it doesn't have to be perfect it has to be good enough and that that could also be an impact on 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 the agile uh uh, movement that we've seen, but I think overall, yes, I think that that tools are improving. Um, uh, certainly, our, our our general quality is improving, but there are still a lot of organizations out there who do software development that do it without good without good quality control uh, tools and and uh, methodologies that do it without. Uh, we're still in the wild west in many ways as far as application development is concerned. So. I think there's there's there is room for improvement. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Alex, for uh, sharing your thoughts on how the rest of the world can uh, try to bring their resources, the mindset, the leadership to effectively handle complex events. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much again. Uh, and listeners, uh, please uh, keep coming back to us. Uh, like us on Facebook. Search for CIO Talk Radio and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.